0: My mother told me on the phone the other day, she said the katydids are coming out, which means that it's going to be fall pretty soon. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is kind of feeling it a little bit. And fall is probably one of those times of year that I, I don't know that there was a period of time that I didn't look forward to it. And one of the reasons I strongly look forward to it is uh, coming from a farm, farming family, just a lot of good memories about harvest and about just stuff in the air that makes you feel good about yourself. And one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is we're, we're good. <laughs> Honestly, our relationship has never been better. Um, not sure what that symbolism was, but um, i 'm going to just move on uh, there There are things that happen in the fall that have a lot to do with these wonderful red and green and yellow red things that I have in my hand and i 'm guessing that i 'm not the only one matter of fact uh, when i when I look at those apples, I think um, there 's an apple that is almost unobtainable any other time of year except for the fall you have any idea what kind of apple that is anybody want to just take a guess is there a favorite apple that you look forward to that's seasonal honey, crisp. honey crisp. there it is right there i don't know who the voice was from beyond but they hit it right on the mark and in between you have of course these you guys know what that is Red Delicious, which is red, but the delicious part, I think personally, is somewhat misleading. It's just a red apple. And you're like, if we have those and they have to be eaten, they're probably not going to get eaten. And then, at least in our house, now maybe we have Red Delicious fans in here, but um, it just doesn't have, well, it just doesn't have the compelling features that apples should have. The Red Delicious actually came about through some selective breeding that happened in the late 1800s. And the whole design was to take a popular apple called the Ben Davis, which none of us have probably ever heard of. Uh, but the Ben Davis was good for one thing, and that is getting from point A to point B and still looking like an apple. And that's about as good as it got. But somewhere along the way, a person decided that if you, if you breed two apple uh, varieties together which each of those varieties would be called a cultivar, if you bred those cultivars together, you could come up with something that they described as a, a, a very fine apple, the red delicious, which has a reddish blush, and it is very sweet to the taste. Now, somewhere along the railroad tracks between where these things grow and our, our refrigerator or our countertop, The red part remained, but the delicious sweet part seems to have been left on the roadside somewhere. And so I look at this apple and I say, it looks wonderful, but when you kind of get into it a little bit, it's just not that interesting. Probably best just left on the counter for an ornamental thing. And I'm also assuming that if you're a teacher, that's just my thought and this way my twisted mind works if you're a teacher and your student gives you a red delicious I would be very skeptical about their intentions it could be that they're trying to get rid of something that their mom said to eat or it could be a sideways compliment in saying that I gave this for you and if you're a teacher and you're making demands on your kids that somehow work where it parlays into an apple that comes your way if it's in season and your student gives you a Honeycrisp then you know they really like what you're doing if they give you a gala it could just be a substitute saying well Honeycrisps aren't in but I'm giving you a gala and what's not to love about the gala honestly then there's this one are you familiar with this one Granny Smith. How many of you like Granny Smith's? How many of you like Granny Smith's with caramel? And peanut butter? And chocolate? And on and on. It does have that, that compelling feature in that way. And sometimes when I read statements in scripture that have to do with fruit, I know that one of the cool things about metaphors is that they have so many facets to them that you can take away from and Fruit is no exception. The Apostle Paul, when he was trying to define who we were as God's people, uh, used that that imagery of us being fruit-bearing individuals in one sense, but in an even better sense, collectively having the same flavor together. And if you you, you received a bulletin whenever you came in, uh, one of the things that we're doing is we're ramping up Uh, Again, for another round of our groups. And community and people together and people doing the Christian walk together, rubbing shoulders, having conversations, growing through the interactions, and even in some ways having our own shortcomings brought to the surface conversationally, only to realize I need to step up my game. Not because I'm trying to impress anybody, but because I know... That it reveals to me that I need to grow. That understood. The Apostle Paul recognized that fruit is a very powerful way to help our minds to be where they need to be. So that we can be the people that we need to be. So that when other people see us, they'll say, I want that. I really would like to have that. And... If you just looked at a Honeycrisp, have you ever bought a Honeycrisp apple? They're not cheap, are they? It's like opportunity to just jack up the price because whatever it is, they're going to pay it. Because there's such a short supply of them and the scarcity is what makes them so valuable and so desirable in the eyes of the people that, 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 that want them. And if God were to look at us, and he were to compare us to the world around us, he would say, I want you to be different. Not different in a sense that you're putting people off, but different in a sense that people are saying, what they have, I want more of. And there's something about flavor, there's something about color, there's something about texture and quality and characteristics that go into fruit that God is saying, just like I want my people to be. And the funny thing about the Honeycrisp is when they started breeding it back in the late 80s and they came to really uh, uh, the end result in the early 90s, they realized pretty quickly that despite their initial impressions in in, in, in essentially saying, nah, that that variety isn't going to work, but people started just wanting them more and more. They were grown on a university setting, and people within that setting said, no, we have a winner. And that initial rejection of the apple turned into a desirability for something that was actually extremely rare. And so they decided they would patent it. And when they patented it, uh, they, wrote, they wrote down in the, in the patent uh, document that the, the Honeycrisp apple... has two cultivars. It has the one called the macoon, which I had never heard of, and a honey gold. And in the patent document, it says that that's where it came from. And when people realized that this apple was the apple that everybody wanted to have, yet it was rare, I'm sure that they were looking to copy it somehow. But the interesting thing was, when geneticists looked at the Honeycrisp apple in, in 2008 and they, and they tracked the genome on it, they started scratching their heads and they said, you know what, we're not seeing maccoon genes in here and we're not seeing genes from the honey gold. Matter of fact, what we're finding is that there is a gene in here from the uh, keepsake apple and the other gene we have no idea where that's coming from. So there was a lot of misunderstanding out of the gate regarding the origin of the honeycrisp, who the progenitors were that created this desirable fruit. But when people really took a careful look, they discovered it was a little bit of something they never imagined and a little bit of something that to them is still quite mysterious. And I thought, If there was ever an apple from God, it's got to be the Honeycrisp. Now, I know that's probably taking it a little bit too far, but it is a representation of the fact that when you look at something as desirable as that, and you see how it creates a certain behavior, as a pastor, I ask myself, how is it that we could be the Honeycrisp? to the world when it came to being people that had a certain way of life that was the result of our cultivars, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming into our lives and making us have such a quality and such a flavor to the people around them that they just couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. And the Apostle Paul knew one thing, that in the Old Testament, Only certain people had the gift of the Holy Spirit. Usually it was prophets and priests and kings and people that made things. Other than that, no one else had the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in the book of Acts, it says in in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit is now upon everyone that is part of God's family. And the goal is to just expand that internal presence of God into the lives of Of as many people as possible. So they can go from one way of life. A life that. Well I think if any of us were honest. We would say. There's a lot about this life. That I like. But there's a lot of things about this life. That seem broken. That seem like they could be better. There are things about this life that. If only I had a good day. Like that one good day that I had one day, every day. And God recognizes this longing in us to have that good day every day. And so when he enabled the members of his family, that would be us, to have his Holy Spirit, he said, your days are going to get better. No matter what's happening around you. Your days are going to get better. Because conditions have changed but the problem that you're going to face is the fact that you live in a world where many people don't believe that, where many people subscribe to the rules of the economy that says if I have enough, I'll be happy, that say if I can exchange, if I have stuff to exchange to other people, things that they have that are desirable, I'll be happy. And your whole mindset is really about what you can get out of life. And perhaps what you can accumulate so that you can give to get. And God said, I want it to be different. Because there's a better way. And with all that said, Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 5. It's a little bit lengthy. And I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to just go as quickly as I can. He says to a community of people... Who are on to something that's different. Who are actually beginning to display those characteristics to the people around them. And other people are saying, I want that. They are the honey of the world. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command." Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do whatever it is that you want. The acts of the flesh are obvious and he catalogs them in, in, in the full extent of really the darkness of our impulses in a life that lives outside of the governance of the spirit. So he just out of the gate says sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is calling people into existence that follow a better way. Contrasting that, he says, but the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to say it with me so that we're all agreed here. Let's say it. Love, joy, Come on, let's start over. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. There's no need for the law. Because everything that needs to be accomplished has been accomplished through the spirits enabling you to do that. And so those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh the flesh, with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, that is self-oriented, provoking and envying each other. It's a pretty tall order, isn't it? But yet Paul says, if my people are going to have that compelling quality that tells others that our God is awesome, then they've got to they keep in step with this. And the thing that I want you to understand is, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, it does make a difference. And I want to just explore what it means for you and I. And it's simply this. We begin a process when we start following the Lord that, that, that is a way of cooperating with the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And it's a way of cultivating within our, our lives healthy relationships that are characterized first and foremost by love. And we do that in a culture that as soon as you leave this building and you you look on your phone or you look at a a website or you uh, find a a billboard or something, it begins to cater to aspects of our own wants and needs and, and desires. It begins to tell us and shout at us. Your life will be complete if you have this. Your life will begin to make better sense. If you purchase that. Your relationships will be what they need to be. If only you can make this a part of it. And all it's doing is catering to. The needs that we have. When God's not very close. And the thing that so characterizes our faith that I think makes it compelling that makes it the honey crisp of all the apples is love but the thing that we have a hard time I think trying to demonstrate to people around us is that very thing and I have to be honest with you I'm not the best at showing love to other people there's a lot of work that I I know the Lord has to do in order to get this right And the best way for us to begin is to look at love's source. And that's God. God's the one who gave us the Spirit. He's the one who said, I want you to have this fruit which is of me. And when you take on the Spirit in your life and you open up your life to allow your Spirit to work, when you keep in step with the Spirit, that is, love will begin to play itself out. And why is it that what is it about God that is that is that is characteristic of love because in in, in in paul's day, when you went to a temple and you prayed, you knew one thing: you knew that there was a God that Somehow related to your interest it could be I can't have a child and I'm going to this God and I'm saying if I just give you this offering I expect in return that you will enable me to bear children. Or if you have a business, you go to another God and you say, if I give you this offering, I will expect you to give me this in return. And it's a whole transactional relationship where the gods of the Greco-Roman world would, would be displayed in such a way that if you had a need, there was a transaction that could occur and the belief was somehow that God would enable that to happen. And however that worked out, I'm not sure, but somehow it was a sustainable system long enough that that's just how people thought when they thought about God the thing that is different about our God our God says your deepest need I can provide for you you may not even know that your deepest need the way I've designed you and made you is so that you can be loved at the deepest most profound part of your soul and that you can begin to express that to other people so here's the thing about our God our God's love is unconditional. There is nothing about you and I that God looks at that says, I'm only going to love you under these conditions. That is, if you get your act together. So many people have said, I, I would love to come to church, but I don't feel good enough yet. And I just want to tell them, I don't know who told you that. I don't know where that came from. That's transactional, meaning that if I'm good enough and I come to church, then God will look at me. God's like, I, 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 don't, I don't get that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not computing that because... I made you in my image and my likeness. It is just in my nature to love you regardless. No matter what you've done or where you've been or what baggage you carry around, my love is unconditional. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, these words. He He said to us, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were doing a lot of stuff we shouldn't have been doing, stuff that we've regretted, stuff that we've carried into this room, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages when we are together in a place where Everything is characterized by honey crisp apples. The immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's such a powerful statement because it's telling us God is just, he's, he's on pins and needles trying to pull us in. But you know where it breaks down? Honestly? I think with this. I think we are giving God a red delicious... projection, when he has Honeycrisp expectations. We're like, on the outside we're Christians, God, we're looking good, but we're not really on the inside what we need to be. And God's saying, it doesn't have to be that way. But maybe some of the things we have to call out are the things that contrast to God's love. And that would be this if I just lived life based on my own self interest, if there was no God, I would say if I'm going to love someone, it's going to have to be conditional. They're going to have to bring something back to me that is going to make me satisfied or happy with them in some way. And if they don't, then that love isn't going to flow. This might begin as a kid. Where a parent says, I will love you if. Or a parent says, I will approve of you if you would be like your brother or you'd be like your sister. And then I'll give you an expression of affection. And then it carries out into our adult lives where we interact with other people. And people love us as long as they feel like it. And then when the feelings go away and the hard work of relationships set in, then it's like, well, you know what? Grass is always greener. I'm going to go over to the other side. And that kind of love is so destabilizing that one of the reasons why I think community here is such a, it's been such a thing that people have responded, I think a lot of people have gone through divorce. A lot of people have experienced the after effects, the fallouts of it, and have even brought it into their adult life. And they're asking themselves questions. Is Red Delicious all that there is when it comes to relationships? Or is there a more compelling, is there a better way? Is there a way that I can be loved unconditionally? And maybe I can even learn to love other people unconditionally. Or is it just the way the world is? As long as it works for me, then we're good. But here's the thing about our God. You know He loves us unconditionally. He loves us sacrificially. His biggest gesture of affection to us, as we all know, or perhaps hopefully we're aware of, and if not, we will by the end of the sermon, is that when there was a bloodstained cross 2,000 years ago with the, with the arms and legs and body of the very Son of God Himself stretched out on it. It was God's way of saying, I've not only come into your world to identify with your situation so that I can, I can tell you, I get it. But not only that, I've allowed... Myself to be unjustly brought to this place where I'm excruciatingly uh, enduring a, 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 a sentence that is from the result of a crime that is not my doing. And so laden in all of that is God's way of saying to you and I, that is how much I get your struggle. And that is what I've had to do to rescue you out of that existence that says, man, there's gotta be a better way. And God sacrificed for us. And I know he would do it again and again and again because he loves everyone that much. But the problem with you and I is that we don't think that way. We don't think about sacrificing something for someone and not getting anything in return. God knew that his son could die on the cross and no one would perhaps decide to take the invitation. But I think he also knew that at the deepest level of our existence, we crave that kind of sacrifice. But we live in a world that says only sacrifice if if it's beneficial. If there is something that you can do to show an expression of love to someone else, you need to do sort of a you need to do sort of a cost analysis on that is it going to is it going to pay off is that relationship are you going to get out of it what you're planning to put into it are you going to get out of that time that you spend with a person that you're trying to help out is there something that you're going to get in return are you going to spend time with people from a, another language, another nationality, another economic class, if you know that it's going to cost you more than you're going to benefit from it. And I would say if God's not in the picture, there's honestly no reason to do that. But if God is in the picture, then it's another way of saying... God did it for me, I am more than happy to pay it forward into your life. And here's the third thing about our God. Um, well, I want to I sh- show a scripture real quickly. And it's from Luke 6. And Jesus just hits it right on the head where he tells us, and if you do good to those who do good for you, what benefit is that to you? For, every, for even sinners do the same thing. What's God saying? If you're just going to, in a red delicious way, Behave like everybody else behaves. Look good on the outside, but not really be that compelling on the inside. What good is that? The thing that's so cool about the Honeycrisp is that it has this capability of not only when I see them, they're always very shiny and they've got this bold coloration to them. They're, they're, they're very compelling. And when you, when you bite into a Honeycrisp, you have this... Explosion of flavor in your mouth. It's a mixture of sweetness and tartness. And the cells actually in these apples have been, have been genetically um, characterized in such a way that they're larger. Meaning that they're just juicy apples. So on every front, they're completely and totally satisfying. They say to the person that's given the privilege of enjoying this, that, that apple... But that was very worthwhile. That was worth the wait. And Jesus says when people see you, they need to see that the weight that they've had, the struggle that they've had, the searching that they've done, well, the satisfaction that can come in being connected to God through a community of people that love Him in the way that He loved them first, that love other people in a way that God loved them as well. That community of people, God says, those are the people that I want. Here's the last thing. I've got I've to wind this down real quickly. God's love is continual. It doesn't end. Some of you may have come in here and said, I don't know that God loves me. He used to love me, but I'm not feeling it like I used to. But we may even have our moments or our seasons. And I've had those seasons where I'm like, God, I'm just not really sure where you're at. But then God said, no, I'm, I, I'm here. It's just a season. You've got to trust me. Because what Paul wrote in Romans 8 was a way of encouraging those of us who have gone through those seasons. And he says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what God is saying (laughs) can I hear an Amen? All right. Not not you guys, I was talking to Susan. (laughs) But you know what? Can I hear an Amen? Very good. For culturally different people. When God gave us that awesome expression of time and space and energy and attention. He said, none of those things separate us from the love of God. But if I'm part of the world, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to love you only when the circumstances are in my favor. When the circumstances change, everything changes. And the difficulty of any pastor in any church is helping us to see this. It's recognizing that there is a conflict going on, like Paul said. It's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And they hate each other. They're like two dogs fighting over something. And they just don't get along. And the Holy Spirit in our lives is just the source of all the good love that flows through us. And our self-interested self selves, apart from God, says, you know what, I'm on the other end. And my question for each of you in this room is, There's a line in between the two, and it's a continuum. And I think if we're honest, we would say, yeah, maybe it's 60-40 that I'm unconditionally loving other people but 40% of the time it's conditional and God may be saying I want you to move it over because I want people when they see you to see me and maybe you're saying yeah the love that I have for other people certainly my family it's sacrificial and my close friends but beyond that not so sure and you may be saying at other times I'm only loving people because it's at my benefit and the question is where are you at on that continuum and then the third one is maybe just maybe whenever I'm around people and and I see that it's going well, I'm going to love them as long as it works. But then there's a part of me that says, no, I'm committed to the very end in that relationship. And if you're a part of a church, all three of these on the right are who we are supposed to be. Why is that? For this reason. When we are that, and we are that flavor... You know what that is right there that's a seed you know what that seed does it goes into the ground it grows and it produces more fruit the only way that that seed can get out of there is to take a bite of course I have some dental issues so I'm not going to take a bite well I can yeah I'll do it this way but you know what My mom always said don't eat with your mouth full or don't speak with your mouth open Or something, something like that. I'm still working on it. She's listening to this. She'll set me straight on it. But that seed right there, that's what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to reproduce out of us something that is going to reproduce itself over and over and over again. It's just the byproduct of the whole experience. But it's probably better to say it's the goal. The goal is to be compelling enough that people say, I want that. And then when they have that, for other people to say, because now it's starting to take root in their lives, for other people to say, I also want that. And there's nothing more cool than having that and then having family members and friends start to see it too and them, and them saying, I want that. Now, the question is, are you still in red delicious land? And if you are, nobody's saying, I want what you have. But if you're in honey crisp land, people are saying, I really want what you have because I can see the love and the joy and the peace and everything else Because something is at work in you that's definitely rare. It's above average. And I don't think, if we had it, people could get enough of it. Would we just take this time and sort that out in our own minds? Maybe we need to ask some questions of ourselves. How much am I conditioning my love for other people? how much am I looking at other people and thinking I'm only connected to them because they're the right people in the right network will do the right things for me? I'm only with them because of what I can get out of it. Or maybe I've shut people out because they're not quite up to speed. Maybe the last question I need to have for myself is am I willing to go the long haul in my relationship with people That aren't quite there yet. That require a lot of patience. That need to see repeatedly the good stuff in order for them to take hold of it themselves.